few quotes on acceptance. The one by uh, Albus Dumbledore actually uh, sort of kind of fits. <laughs> Probably fits more with the celebrate recovery kind of acceptance, but um, it works. And I just really wanted to put a quote by Albus Dumbledore up on the screen. Um, Martin Luther King said, The art of acceptance is the art of making someone who has just done you a small favor wish that he might have done you a greater one. That's interesting, isn't it? Brian Tracy, who's a motivational speaker, The greatest gift that you can give to others is the gift of unconditional love and acceptance. And then understanding is the first step to acceptance. And only with acceptance can there be recovery. Albus Dumbledore in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. So, quotes on acceptance. Today's topic is acceptance without approval. It's my legacy series. These are the things I think are kind of bedrock truths about scum of the earth, something that uh, we've practiced for a long time, I would say is uh, acceptance without approval. Um, let me continue from last week. So those of you who, who were here remember that I talked about Laverne and about her friend Pat and their youth pastor, Dave Carter, who started talking to me about Jesus uh, when I was a junior uh, in high school, sophomore and then junior year in high school. And, um, you know, they accepted me. I guess that was one of the big deals for me was that here's a couple people I didn't know who thought I was worthy to talk to about some very deep things. And just so you know, I mean, I didn't talk to Laverne or to Pat or their youth pastor every day or even every week, really. I mean, remember, I mean, they were Baptist. And uh, I was raised in a Greek Orthodox home. Um, I'm sure that my, uh, my mother and my stepfather were wondering uh, who this strange youth pastor was coming over to talk to me in my living room once. But, um, yeah, it was not every day. And then uh, Laverne graduated. When I was a junior, she was a senior. She left. And then, lo and behold, uh, since my dad had just remarried, uh, we were kind of a Brady Bunch. We had seven kids in the family now. We had to find another house with more bedrooms. And so we moved the summer before my senior year in high school. And um, it uh, rocked my world, as you can imagine. I had gone from being super involved in school, class president, uh, band, sports teams, student council, blah, 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 to just being the new kid, walking around the halls at school. And guess who were among the first people to accept me at this new school? It was the Christian kids. Probably not an accident, spiritually speaking, but I thought differently. 
I went to uh, a Young Life club meeting, which was what a bunch of kids packed into a living room. They were singing songs about Jesus. There was a talk about Jesus. And the whole time I was super uncomfortable because I did not believe that Jesus was real. Or that he was alive, at least. He might have been a historical figure. And so what do you do when you're uncomfortable in a spiritual situation like that? You don't want to feel that awkwardness, maybe that conviction. Well, easy. You just don't go back. So I didn't go back. Didn't have to worry about singing songs I didn't believe in. So I was hitchhiking home from uh, school one day, my new school. And who would pick me up but the Young Life leader, this guy from college. I mean, not many people picked up this swarthy six-foot-three high school senior with sideburns that looked like they came from the Wolverine. I mean, I just wasn't the blonde-haired, blue-eyed surfer boy that everybody trusts just by looking at him. But he wasn't afraid, and so he invited me, as did the other kids invited me to this Bible study they had Friday morning before school. And I'm thinking, man, oh, there are so many things that I want to do in my life, not the least of which is drink a lot of booze or beer and, and, and sleep with a lot of girls. I gotta, if there is a God, then he's not going to be too happy with that. So I decided, as a senior in high school, that I needed to find out if there really was a God or not. Because if there wasn't, I could sin with impunity. I could do all that stuff and never suffer the consequences. And so that's why I went to Bible study. To find out that there wasn't a God. Now... This is where the acceptance without approval part really begins to make a difference. Because they accepted me into their Bible study. I remember when the young life leader starts talking about Revelation. I'm in the back of the little room where we met. And I'm just the sarcastic, snarky, non-Christian guy who goes, Hey, Johnston, is this a fairy tale that I heard about once? He said an equally snarky thing back to me, which was appropriate and funny. But I knew that I was cared for, that I was accepted, even though I had that kind of an attitude. And so I kept going because I wanted to find out. And you know what? Those Christians, their acceptance of me just began to infiltrate my heart and my soul. And I kept going to the Bible study. Summertime comes. I'm graduated. I'm still going to the Bible study. Still don't believe in Jesus. The Bible study is now in the home of uh, Jack and Gretchen Boyd, a dentist and his wife, young, young folks, young family. And, you know, they invite me in their house. We play basketball in their driveway. They're wonderful to me. I argue with them almost every Bible study. See, I was actually checking out a cult at the same time to see if they had any truth. 
And they try to warn me about the cult. And, um, you know, so we would get in these arguments. And so, um, even so, without agreeing with me on very, very core spiritual issues, like if Jesus was real, these people accepted me for who I was. Even with my attitude. And so we're going to talk about acceptance without approval. About loving people and welcoming people into your church, into your community, who are anti-church and anti-God. I mean, that is what this sermon is about. It's one of the bedrock foundations of Scum of the Earth Church. So let's go to the famous verse everybody likes to talk about. Luke 6 chapter Luke chapter 6 verse 37. Hold on a second. Lord Jesus, if there's anything else going on that's really bad, I ask that you would cover that, that you would keep everybody safe, that you would let justice prevail. In Christ's name, amen. All right, Luke six thirty-seven. I got some Greek in here too. Just FYI, that's what that is. So Jesus is saying, "Do not judge." In Greek, that's "kemi krinete." It means judge. Okay, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn. "Kemi katavikazete." And you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. All right, so just so you know, what Jesus is doing here is he's clarifying things as he's going. He's saying, I don't want you to judge. And you won't be judged in return. This is the kind of judgment I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of judgment where you condemn somebody. That's the kind of judgment I'm talking about. He's not talking about the judgment about whether to eat chocolate or vanilla ice cream. Or whether to go out with this person or that person. He's not talking about decisions you have to make overall. He's not ruling out any kind of evaluation at all. So he does a parallel sentence here. What I'm talking about is don't condemn people. If you don't want to be condemned, forgive and you'll be forgiven. The word judge means basically to choose, to distinguish between something. It doesn't always have a negative meaning. There's some judgments that are good. They're even commanded in Scripture. You're supposed to have some judgments. But the kind of judgment that Jesus has in mind relates to unfair, unloving, and condemning judgments. Here's the deal. By failing to accept people, by failing to accept people, we fail to reveal the loving and merciful character of God. And I think maybe one of the reasons 
that evangelism fails, that people don't like Christians very much sometimes, is because they cannot see the grace of God evidenced in the church, even in relation to itself. God is saying, Jesus is saying, that there's blessing for you if you don't judge, if you don't condemn, if you're quick to forgive. Jesus did talk about some other kinds of things. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? This is Luke 6, 6 41, 42. So just a few verses after this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and then when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly enough to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So, you see, he's not talking about not ever saying anything. But he doesn't want you to condemn. I think what Jesus is talking about in Luke 6.37 is we all have this tendency to be hard on others and kind of easy on ourselves. Do you ever notice that? You tend to judge yourself by your intentions. Well, this is what I meant to say. This is what I meant to do. This isn't what I had planned. We judge everybody else by their actions. We kind of got a double standard going. So he wants us to give people an uncondemning attitude in the same amount that we desire to receive non-condemnation. So the question, really, for all of us is, how do we want to be judged? How do you want to be condemned? Or how do you want to be forgiven by God? I mean, religious people are kind of prone to be guilty of nasty tones, you know? Condescending looks. Condemning words. I mean, we're just sometimes like that. Sinful judgment comes, I think, from an attitude of some kind of superiority or pride, like somehow we're better than other people. So here are some characteristics of people who judge or condemn others. Number one, we accuse others and we excuse ourselves. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter how educated you are or not educated. Everybody seems to accuse others and accuse themselves. You can be a politician. You can be a prostitute. You can be a pimp. You can be a pastor. It doesn't matter. Everybody is guilty of this sin. We all are. We accuse others. We excuse ourselves. You can find it everywhere. And how do we excuse our sin? Well, we tend to delicately label our own sin. For example, I'm not really judging people. I'm just discerning. That's all. 
We don't gossip. We're just sharing a concern that we have. I'm not critical, really. I'm I'm just perceptive. That's the kind of person I am. I'm not lazy. I am mellow. There's nothing wrong with being mellow. I'm not negative. I'm just realistic. I'm not unreliable. Not at all. I'm just flexible. We judge other people, but when it comes to ourselves, we have this tendency to say, it's just the way that I am. We give an excuse for it. And then we also like conveniently forget our own sin. I mean, if you don't go over it as you're getting ready to sleep at night, you will not remember it. You won't. It's amazing how our own faux pas, our own hurtful words, our own insensitive actions are forgotten from our memories unless we bring them to mind. I've said this before so many times. I'll say it again. It's good for everybody, especially a scum, to have this hall of shame in the back of their heads that they can visit every now and then to put yourself back in reality with the kind of person you really are. You shouldn't live there. By no means live there. But it's not a bad idea. If you want to have a decent, objective view of yourself. The person who thinks he has a clear conscience just has a poor memory. It's my opinion. A lot of times we think there's nothing in our life that needs correction, but we may just not have thought enough about it. The problem is that we're blind to the truth. We have blind spots, right? All of us have areas of weakness we don't see. And then, you know, we also make ourselves the arbitrary standard. We measure people by the wrong standard. And the standard usually is us. You know, um, you know, probably I go to church at least. I listen to the sermons. I'm doing okay. That person never does. I have a devotional life. I read my Bible at least a couple of times a week. That person never does. You know, I, I dealt with... I'm, I'm not a guy that goes to exotic dancers' places. Strip clubs. He does. I'm better than him. Why? Because I'm the standard. We have blind spots. And here, you know, here's the amazing thing is that God knows everything about us. And yet he's still patient and loving. I mean, a lot of you have done a lot of bad things. 
I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm confined by confidential pastoral rules. But I could get up here and I could start telling just the things you've told me, not even the things you haven't told me. And here's the deal. Every one of you is amazed that God still likes you and loves you and wants to hang out with you and wants to be your friend. Every one of you is amazed by that kind of grace. The purpose of God's goodness is to lead us toward repentance. It's His kindness, the Scripture tells us, that leads us to repentance. The purpose of God's blessing in your life, the undeserved blessing, the one that you never earned, is to motivate you to change, to please Him. That's the purpose. He wants to motivate you to change. Here at SCUM, we believe that the way you bring people to Christ is not by putting them down and telling them what they already know they are, but rather by holding them up and telling them, this is all you were meant to be in the Lord. This is what your life can be like, forgiven. We show them the benefits of following God. And we tell them about what God wants to do for them. God doesn't want you to be enslaved to that addiction. He doesn't. He loves you too much for that. That's not part of the owner's manual. You were not created to work that way. You work better when you're not in that kind of a place. And we display the goodness of God and the kindness of God, the acceptance of God at the same time. We're telling them, this is what God is like. This is how God feels about you. We do not preach, at scum of the earth, you are going to hell. We don't preach that. Rather, we say, look how patient God is. Look how much He loves you. Look how kind He is. We realize how good God is. We are so grateful for what God has done in our lives. We really are. That far be it from us to tell anybody they're going to hell. I mean, because it's not what I want for you. It's not what God wants for you. Okay, what's the most famous verse in the Bible? Anybody know? John 3.16? Is that what you said? Do you know what it says? Do you know what it says? Yeah. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son... That whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Very good, Lindsay. You get a star for the day. Anybody know what John 3.17 says? 
Very good. Thank you. Let's go on to that. Way to go. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn, the Greek word is krino again, judge, but here it's being used to condemn because that's the context. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he or she has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus didn't come to judge. Krino in Greek. He did not come to judge. He came to save. God is not looking for an excuse to condemn you, but rather endeavoring to try and save you. He doesn't have an attitude of suspicion about your life, but an attitude of love for who you are. His purpose in sending Jesus in the world was to draw all people to Himself. Now, this is interesting. Verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he or she has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus did not come into a neutral world where people had no opinion one way or the other. He did not come into a neutral world to move people from neutrality to pro-Jesus. Nobody was neutral. We'd all sinned. We were all guilty. We're all perishing. Therefore, we're already condemned. And that's why Jesus came to save us. Whether we stay condemned depends, evidently, on how we respond to Jesus. Jesus had not came, come to make neutral people into pro-Jesus people, but He came to make guilty people into non-guilty people. Condemn people into people who are not condemned. To make dead people eternally alive. This is John 3. Let's go to John 12 just for kicks. And he says this, he goes, As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge. There's that word again, krino. I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn, and the word there again is krino, that's just the, Third person singular, for those of you who understand what I'm talking about. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at that last day. So, 
There is a judge, evidently. But here is what scum needs to remember after I leave. There is a judge, but we are not him. Therefore, we accept everyone, even though we may not approve of their actions. Be like Jesus. Love them. Give them some slack. Treat them the way you treat yourself most of the time. And this wouldn't be a legacy sermon without a quote from Clive Staples Lewis. I want you to pay attention to this one because this is killer. I remember Christian teachers telling me long ago that I must hate a bad man's actions but not hate the bad man. Or, as they would say, hate the sin but not the sinner. For a long time, I used to think this a silly, straw-splitting distinction. How could you hate what a man did and not hate the man? But years later, it occurred to me that there was one man to whom I had been doing this all my life, namely myself. However, much as I might dislike my own cowardice, or conceit, or greed, I went on loving myself. There had never been the slightest difficulty about it. In fact, the very reason why I hated the things was that I loved the man. Just because I loved myself, I was sorry to find that I was the sort of man who did those things. Consequently, Christianity does not want us to reduce by one atom the hatred we feel for cruelty and treachery. We ought to hate them. Not one word of what we have said about them needs to be unsaid, but it does want us to hate them in the same way in which we hate things in ourselves. Being sorry that the man should have done such things and hoping, if it is any way possible, that somehow, sometime, somewhere, he can be cured and made human again. I'm just asking us to treat others the way that we have most of the time treated ourselves. Acceptance. Without approval. So what does this look like in real life? Now, for those of you who don't know, I uh, am a father. I have four adult children. I do not approve of everything my children think or say or do. It's not, perhaps, the way that I raised them. 
Or maybe it was. Maybe they're just imitating my darker side. Nonetheless, I accept them. I mean, they are at my house for dinners, especially for birthdays. And there are gifts at birthdays, at Christmas. There are hugs and there are kisses upon arrival and upon leaving. Sometimes I kiss and hug my children for no reason at all. Even if I'm not exactly happy about everything they're doing or saying or thinking. I'm going, isn't that what parenting is supposed to be? What the hell is wrong with the Christian church? That we're not treating people the same way we treat our children. There are people out there doing all sorts of things we do not approve of. They should be welcomed into our hearts, into our homes, into our churches with hugs and with kisses and with presents, with conversation, with special times together, with coffees, with meals. Why do you think we have a meal at Scum every Sunday? It's so people know we love them. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't even have to be you know, a regular attender to share with us at our meals. We want to accept you. It doesn't matter. We don't judge people. I mean, we may judge actions. We're harder on Christians. We're not hard at all on non-Christians. We might be a little bit tough on Christians because they somehow say they are living by the same standards that we are. And so there's a common ground there. We can actually say something. Because Christians claim the same standard of behavior that we do. And this is the attitude. It's because I love you. And it's because I believe what you're doing is hurtful to you that I don't approve of your actions. It's why we had Celebrate Recovery here for years. It's why we're encouraging people to go to Celebrate Recovery at Celebration Community Church. It's because we love people. We don't want to see them hurt themselves or others. But with non-Christians, I mean, this idea of disapproval will cause people to infer superiority on our part. And judgment. You've got to be really careful with non-Christians that you do not infer disapproval. You accept them. You shut up about their life choices unless they ask you. You must not imply anything. 
But this notion of disapproval will cause them to infer that we're being judgmental. We don't want that to happen. If you ever get into a discussion with non-Christians and they ask you, what do you think about my actions? What do you think about my thoughts? What do you think about my words? We need to communicate that it's our love for them that causes disapproval of those thoughts, of those words, of those actions. You know, God doesn't call it sin because He doesn't like it. He calls it sin because it doesn't like us. It'll destroy us if it gets the chance. Let me repeat that. God doesn't like sin. God doesn't call it sin because He doesn't like it. He calls it sin because it doesn't like us. And it will destroy us if given the chance. I mean, sometimes we say, please stop this. Don't do this. I heard you got drunk and you were driving around. That's dangerous because I care for you and I care for the people on the road. And uh, so I thought um, what I'd do is to kind of highlight this acceptance of that approval idea, uh, I'd call Fran Blomberg up and ask her to share a story or two. And then we're going to take some questions and answers if you got any questions or answers. So, Fran, come on up. So I started coming to SCUM in 2006, really steadily, um, coming off of a hurtful situation in another church. And I loved it because I could just sit here in the dark and I could be tearful and weepy and nobody cared because emo was really in at the time. (laughs) And I didn't realize all the time I was doing that, I was kind of building some credibility because... Apparently, most people my age who come to SCUM have an agenda of how to fix y'all because, you know, y'all need fixing. So I was amazed after several months to find out that I was being accepted. You know, the older woman from the Burbs who didn't laugh at most of the jokes because they didn't get them and didn't get the pop culture references um, actually had some acceptance It was interesting in 2010 when it was proposed that I go on staff because a lot of the easy-to-target characteristics of my life came to the forefront. She's old. She's from the suburbs. Like, she's old. She can't be relevant. She's from the suburbs. She must have a very entitled lifestyle. She's educated. She's going to be a know-it-all. Boom, 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 boom. You know, and Mike had to really talk some people down. And it it just dawns on me how easy it is for us to take one characteristic of someone's life and make an entire determination and stereotype around them because of that, whether it is a lifestyle issue, a belief, or a lack of belief, or, you know, something in their personality. And it's always been of interest to me how universally human that tendency is. That everybody here 
who is so cool and so accepting is it's as easy as it is in any church I've ever been to for someone to say, ah, but, and, and jump to a stereotypical conclusion. So we spend a lot of time just pointing that out and talking people down, that you can't, you can't stereotype. And I think everything Mike said is absolutely true, that we have to be able to accept everyone. There's um, a model out there in the church that says, you know, the, the typical church, the typical church will say, you better behave right before you walk through our doors. And you have to believe right and sign off, you know, on the doctrinal statement before you can be a member. And if you're behaving right and believing right, then you can belong here. And scum has intentionally flipped that on its head. Like, if you're here, you belong. You want to belong? You belong. And the goal is that that love and everyday love that gets in people's lives and is there and talks and discusses and helps out will provoke the question, why are you guys different? Well, because we believe this is how we follow Jesus. And if somebody comes to believe, it is, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to tell them what's right and what's wrong in their life and what needs to change and not change. We can be guides, but we can't be the ultimate authority. And I think what Mike said is absolutely so true. We evaluate and judge all the time. If I were to burst into song right now, you would probably judge both my choice of music and my voice. But that wouldn't be the same as condemning me for it. But yet that human tendency is there to say, I don't like that, so you're a bad person. And we, we always have to talk ourselves down from that. So that was my story. So, um, yeah, thanks. So I thought, uh, we know we haven't done this for a long time, but um, are there any questions? And again, questions, not comments this time. Any questions that you might have about this whole idea of accepting without approving you know, Christians, non-Christians, whatever. Um, anybody want to ask a question? Yeah, sir. Yeah, we can. Um, I can do it. No, it's a conjunction. It's just, they're just, and. Yeah, I mean, it's do not judge and you will not be judged. Yeah, so it's, it's they're obviously put together. There's not an if-then, but it's an and. So they are definitely conjoined. Does that answer your question? Okay, all right, sure. All right. Anybody else? Yeah. Okay, say that one more time. I think. Do I think that not preaching the gospel to specific people because of their situation is an act of condemnation? Yeah. Want to answer that? One? Yeah, I'll take that one on. Um, 
I'm also known for having a bit of a fiery temper, which has to be brought under control. And I was having a discussion with a pastor from another country, super conservative. And there was no way he was going to let a gay person in his church. And my argument was, where do you think they're going to hear the gospel? Where do you think anybody will hear the gospel if they're not included in the fellowship and the community of the church? I would absolutely say that if you refuse to preach the gospel to someone because of their situation, it is an act of condemnation. The interesting thing was this fellow didn't listen to a word I said because neither did he believe a woman was allowed to teach. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why I asked Fran to come up here. Another question? Okay. Yeah, I think so. I'm trying to rephrase the question. When it comes to the distinction between um, accepting people and not approving of what they're doing, is it... Are we somehow missing the mark by not con- by not calling out their their sins as destructive and ultimately leading them to hell? So that's what you're. Is that what you're asking? Okay, so, so my, my, my feeling on that is, is that um, this is exactly what Jesus taught. I mean, I would say that's wrong. I mean, that's, that's not the right way to look at things. According to when I read Jesus saying, not only in the English, but the original Greek, not only in, one or two, not only in, in Luke, but in John, in Matthew, I mean, over and over again, I mean, um, you know, woman, where are your accusers? You know, um, <laughs> I'm not... I'm not condemning you either. Just go and, and sin no more. I mean, there's, there's this attitude of Jesus that, you know what? You are welcome. Matthew, I'm coming. Or uh, what was his name? Nehemiah? No, not Nehemiah. No, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Yeah, Nehemiah. I was thinking of an old thing. Sorry. Nehemiah, the smallest guy in the Bible? Right, not him. No. Um, uh, <laughs> The guy who climbed up the tree. I'm coming to your house tonight. I'm going to have... I mean, and Jesus did not approve of anything this guy said. And Jesus' main focus was on befriending the guy, his salvation. It didn't seem like Jesus wanted to talk about politics or taxes. So, so, so yeah, I just think that's just a totally wrong perspective. I mean, it, it might fly within the context of the church 
to call people out on their sins, but I do not think it flies outside the church. That's my opinion. Want to add to it? Yeah. You know, if you take, if you ask me, if you take the top 10 public sins that Christians are most known to condemn, there's no reason to go out and condemn people because they already know we think that. They just maybe don't know why. And, you know, again, I, I mean, Early on, way before I was even on staff, I was in a situation with a woman here at SCUM one time, and she came to me, and she confessed a pretty public sin. And I was like, oh, thank you very much for telling me that. I'll be in touch. Mike, what do I do? And I remember his response was, whatever happens, do not lose her. The world will never tell her she did anything wrong. Hang on to her. And I think the reason we don't want sin infiltrating the church is because we're too damn lazy to deal with people. And it's a self-protective movement. Mike said um, it was our our pride that makes us think we're better. I think it's more self-protection and laziness. We just don't want to deal with difficult conversations, difficult long-term relationships, relapses, arguments, discussions. The world's never going to tell people they did something against God's will. We have to have that relationship with them. I'm going to take one more question. Todd? Yeah, so I think you've made it pretty clear as to what our relationship should be with those that are not Christian. Okay. But you've been using the words like that might fly within the church. Uh, mm-hmm. Where do you draw the line of course correction with those that are followers? Okay, where do I draw the line with course corrections for people who do claim to be followers of Jesus. When do you say something? How do you say something about a person's actions, thoughts, words, when they are claiming the same standard as you? Is that the question that I'm asking? Yeah, that's probably a whole other sermon, frankly. Um, and it probably wouldn't even be appropriate for Sunday. Uh, might be appropriate more for a home Bible study. But, um, but I would say that initially one must approach this with mercy, with, you know, an awareness that we are all sinners apart from the you know, saving work of Jesus Christ, we're all condemned. I, I think that you've got to start there. You've got to start with, I'm going to give this person some slack. And realize that people are in transition, even if they're Christians. They're, they're moving from darkness to light. They are moving from, you know, this process of being... Um, unsanctified to sanctified, right? I mean, there's, there, there, it, you know, there's some, if people are doing two steps forward and one step back in their, their Christian walks, then I tend to give them some slack. Just if their hearts are in the right place and they go, you know, I, I, I did it again. I, 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 I went home with the girl from the bar and, and I, I've been trying not to do that, but I haven't done it for months. And, I'm feel, I mean, if, if that's the attitude, if that's the heart, then, um, you know, my response would be, okay, let's start again. It's a new day. You know, you get, a, you get your, tomorrow you get your one-day chip. You know, I mean, you're, you're going to be on this journey yet again. So, so my, I'm, I'm, you know, there are prophets among us who are much more, Directive and black and white than I am, and thank God for their perspectives, because they balance out people like me. 
But, um, but yeah, I would, I would start with mercy. That's where I would begin. Um, we're out of time. Um, I'm going to ask... Uh, oh, no, sorry. Go right ahead. We're not out of time. <laughs> uh, I would just say in answer to Todd's question, again, on the answer of... Uh, on the idea of laziness... I think we are responsible for each other's well-being in accordance with the depth of our relationship with someone. Like, I don't know, just pick out someone here that I know but not all the well. I'll pick up Nicole. I, I don't know her well enough to delve into her life and tell her what she did wrong yesterday. Mike screws up. He's going to hear about it immediately from me. <laughs> So, but again, you know, sometimes we think the depth of my relationship means I need to be more tolerant. You know, the depth of your relationship means you need to be more involved because you're, you've got the right to speak into that life. So I'd say that for Christian on Christian, too. So. Okay. If you are a person who is following Jesus to the best of your ability then you are welcome to come and to celebrate your relationship with him. The fact that uh, he has covered your sins, that God accepts you without approving of everything that you've done or are even doing now by sharing in communion. Uh, At SCUM, we don't just uh, drink out of the cup. We actually rip off some of the bread. You'll dip it in the cup or take one of the gluten-free crackers and, and dip it into the juice, and uh, you can eat it right then, say a prayer at your seat, whatever you need to do. Um, During the last set of songs and during the rest of communion, there'll be some people back here in the prayer room to to pray with you if they've got any prayer concerns. Uh, So let's begin.